guys farzine vasukin here with you for another episode of the chief zone podcast back again with you did not have a podcast on sunday as uh you guys saw on the social media i was at the game in las vegas a lot of fun uh, a lot of fun so this is obviously the first podcast i've had a chance to do i did a short live stream uh from my hotel uh at a sports book uh, uh some of you guys uh, listened to that so i appreciate those who tuned in but uh, yeah, was unable to do like a full, uh, full-on podcast. Oh boy, uh, looks like our camera just went out. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, lovely. That happened during the the the, the podcast. Um, not. Uh, not what we wanted. Oh, there we go. Okay, I don't know what happened there. Off to uh, off to a great start. Back from vacation. Uh, jet lagged and uh, yeah, that 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 that. that no, I, I don't know what happened. Sorry guys, but nonetheless, uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, all the social media uh, was great over the weekend, so appreciate all of you guys who tuned in, commented, all the good stuff. Uh, apologize again for not doing a podcast, but back here once again. Uh, doing another episode of the Chief Zone, a little bit uh, going to be a little longer, so we're going to cut certain things uh, out because obviously uh, going to do a recap. Not going to make the recap too long because you guys already know the outcome and all of the good stuff that happened uh, on Sunday. So not going to get into it too much, but still some things worth getting into. Definitely want to talk about Allegiant Stadium because this is now the, my second time at the stadium. We'll give my thoughts on that. Uh, also. Uh, a family that attended the game getting a lot of attention specifically the kid because of the face paint and the headdress he wore i definitely want to touch in uh touch on that a little a uh, little later on uh because that is getting a lot of attention also former chiefs offensive tackle orlando brown spoke about the chiefs in a recent interview and had some very interesting things to say that i want to respond to we'll do the week 12 roundup we'll do the week 13 preview and then of course as we do each and every single episode preview the game for the chiefs and the packers that'll be the upcoming game sunday night football uh i'll be honest i completely forgot this was a this was a sunday night game so uh mike Tarico, chris collinsworth gonna be there and uh, the chiefs will visit the packers in a uh, good old lambeau field so going to preview that okay appreciate it guys uh bob steve robert by the way robert uh make sure um uh you get uh, back to me because you did win a uh you did win the uh chief's uh book from christian okoye right here right here in my hand i have your book this is your book right here signed by Christian Okoye right there. That is yours. So uh, I'm glad you commented because uh, I wasn't sure if you uh, added me back or not. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure you knew that. So uh, appreciate everyone who uh, entered that on my brother's Facebook page. So, uh, Robert, I'll get to you a little later on tonight, obviously, after the podcast is done. But a lot of things to get into. So very little time to waste. This podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com if you guys want to attend the Chiefs game, whether at home, on the road, like I just did. Uh, KU, K-State, Mizzou. Uh, a lot going on there, college football and college basketball, NBA game, NHL game, concert, whatever it is you want to attend, go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code Farzine. If you're a first-time customer, you will save $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. So that's SeatGeek.com at checkout. Use the promo code Farzine and save $20. 
All right, Chiefs Raiders, let's get right into it here. Uh, 14-0 deficit to start off the game. A lot of people on social media, I was keeping track even though I was at the game. A lot of people had some uh, some comments say a lot of people not so sure if the team would survive after that. And I said, look, bad start, but let's relax. Let's chill out. Chiefs woke up and they went on a 31-3 run. The Raiders just lost complete control after the first quarter, which was a, a beauty to see. But why did the Chiefs get things going? Travis Kelsey on his podcast credited the young guys, specifically pointed out Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice as uh, they both had uh, good games, definitely played better, especially Sky Moore playing a little bit better contributing. Rasheed Rice had a big game, and I'll get to that later on. He also uh, praised the uh, running game, which the Chiefs utilized more. Isaiah Pacheco was used like a starting running back, which was good to see. Um, Here's what I think really saved the Chiefs in this game right here. Actually, I think there are two things. Number one, when the when the Raiders, and by the way, I don't understand why Antonio Pierce challenged that one yard uh, on, on a third and one play. It's like everything was going your way at the time. But Antonio Pierce kicking a field goal and then missing the field goal, that was a big turning point. Now, the Raiders still got another touchdown after that, but... Could have easily been 21 nothing, and considering how the Raiders were in full control of that game early on, I was very surprised Antonio Pierce did not go for it on fourth and short when they were so close to the end zone. And now that's no excuse to miss that field goal right there. That was that was another issue there the Raiders had. Uh, but Chiefs found a way to get going after that Josh Jacobs touchdown. Um, and here's to me what what was so different is. After that, the Chiefs calmed down. They started to play their own game. I've said this so many times about the Chiefs. If they play their own game, they'll win 99 times out of 100. And I know that's a cliche to say, but that's true. The Chiefs, and I think what really helped is they had that long drive, which ended, I think it was the um, the, the Justin Watson uh, was I, I can't remember w- which touchdown was first, the Isaiah Pacheco run. Actually, now that I think of it, I think it was the Isaiah Pacheco run. That was the first touchdown. That touchdown drive right there, uh, it was a long one. It was an 11-play drive, if I recall correctly, and took several minutes off the clock there. And, I, and the reason I make a big deal about that, you guys know my thoughts on time of possession. If you have heard me on this podcast, you have heard me talk about time, time of possession time and time again, and no pun intended, and how important that is. That was a six-minute drive. Yeah, a 12-play drive, correction, that ended uh, with Isaiah Pacheco on a one-yard run there. And the reason that's a big deal is because the defense was on the field forever. Um, It just felt like the Chiefs' defense could not get off the field. I think Travis Kelsey mentioned the Chiefs' offense only ran four plays the entire first quarter, and I'm going to double-check on that real quickly. Yeah, they had a three yard, uh, a three and out essentially, and then yeah, they they ran a couple of yeah, they ran four plays in the uh, first quarter, and then they had a couple of uh, plays in the second quarter before Josh Jacobs had that touchdown run on that uh, two play drive. How long was that? Thirty seven yards? Oh no, sorry, sixty three yards. Yeah, that was a long one. I remember Mike Edwards just completely whiffing on that one right there, and I was on Twitter saying, what the hell was Mike Edwards doing? But that six-minute drive right there the Chiefs had, that really turned things around because 
the defense got some rest. And when they came back out, Aiden O'Connell was not able to do the things that he was able to do. Jacoby Myers slowed down. Devontae Adams was really a non-factor. Let's spend a, a moment, by the way, talking about these Chiefs wide receivers here. Um, because I, I've got a list of some of the top 20 pass catchers in the NFL this year. The Chiefs have fared very, very well. Uh, people want to talk about how easy the Chiefs schedule is. No, not at all. They've been going up against some of the best wide receivers this year. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, six catches, 71 yards. Uh, not that 71 yards is, is good, but for a, a top 20 receiver, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good day for a defense. Christian Kirk has probably had the best game against the Chiefs defense this year. 11 catches, 110 yards. DJ Moore had three catches for 41 yards. Justin Jefferson, not in the top 20, but at the time he was before that injury, uh, had just three catches for 28 yards in two and a half quarters. TJ Hawkinson, same game, five for 51 yards. Keenan Allen, four for 55 yards. Tyreek Hill, obviously everyone remembers that one. Eight catches for 62 yards. One of them, a fumble taken back for a scoop six. A.J. Brown had just one catch for eight yards. Devontae Smith, six for 99 yards. Devontae Adams held to just five catches for 73 yards. So the Chiefs defense, uh, we all know how great the Chiefs defense has been. We don't need to go over it in great detail, but... Um, they've been going up against some very good wide receivers. It's not like they're just playing worms and cans out there. No, they're playing against some of the best wide receivers out there. And they're coming away with these, uh, the, the, these big stops. Uh, and they certainly came away with, with a couple of big ones in the second half or excuse me, the second quarter to allow the chiefs offense to get back out on the field quickly and get another touchdown before halftime. So, uh, very good to see. Uh, Kelsey played a lot better. I mentioned Rasheed Rice. He looked like a, a number one wide receiver. In fact, uh, the uh, he uh, surpassed the 100-yard mark for the first time this year, and I think he finished with exactly 103 yards uh, in this game. Uh, 107 yards, uh, excuse me. So, that the, by the way, that is the second most receiving yards in a game by a Chiefs rookie. Dwayne Bow has the uh, record, had a monster game once against the uh, against the San Diego Chargers in 2007. I remember that one. Uh, the Chiefs got off to a bad start, and then they just went off on the Chargers in that game, and Dwayne Bow had a, really one of the best games of his career uh, that afternoon in San Diego. Uh, the Chiefs used Isaiah Pacheco like a true running back. That was good to see. By the way, and I know... The Chiefs' offensive tackles have not been their best. Jawan Taylor leads the NFL in tackles. Uh, we know Orlando Brown leads the NFL in pressures. Donovan Smith right behind him, which I know Bengals fans make a big deal out of. It's like, well, your guy's not much better. Yeah, but we're not paying him much. And by the way, I do want to touch on that a little later on. For those of you tuning in, I do want to weigh in on the Orlando Brown comments he made about the Chiefs recently because he's had some things that were pretty interesting that definitely deserve um, a little bit of a discussion here on the podcast. But the, was Max Crosby even in this game? I know he was coming in doubtful with an injury. My thing is, if you do play, like a lot of Chiefs fans were making the excuse about Patrick Mahomes playing with the flu against the Broncos. It's like, yeah, but if you play, you know, you're playing. You can't be making excuses if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're playing. Um, I just hate when people bring up the excuse. Oh, well, Joe Burrow had a bad calf. That's why we got off to a slow start. That's what Bengals fans have been saying, at least. Um, but no, the, the offensive tackles played well in this game, I thought. And even Wanya Morris, who came in for a few snaps because Donovan Smith got hurt and needed a little bit of a break there. I, I thought Wanya Morris looked good. Small sample size. So, you know, we don't know much about him long term yet, but uh, I thought he looked good. 
uh, coming in, filling in for uh, for Donovan Smith. Max Crosby had one sack. I think it was late in the third quarter. So it's not like he was really uh, making a big impact in this game. So that was good to see overall. I mean, the Chiefs just played really their best football from the second quarter on. That was the best football the Chiefs have played all year long. Uh, better start starts certainly would be very important, um, but they found a way to overcome that. That's what good teams do. And I completely forgot about this. Hunter Renfro said this in his interview uh, to the media after the game. This Raiders team got off to a 17-0 start against Kansas City last year on Monday Night Football. Remember that one? The Chris Jones uh, roughing the passer or whatever it was. Uh, where he actually um, had the ball, but was still considered roughing the passer, which is weird. Um, and then uh, this one, where the Raiders got off to a 14-0 lead against the Chiefs and were unable to hold. Not only did they blow it, they just got shellacked the rest of the game by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs just spanked the Raiders after that 14-0 start, which, by the way, is always fun when you can see the Chiefs do that kind of thing to the Raiders. So the Chiefs really did play their best football and did it against a division rival, a, a team that, you know, started to pick up a little bit of steam after they fired Josh McDaniels. They're certainly rallying around Antonio Pierce. Now, I don't know if they're going to keep him. They certainly should have kept Rich Bisaccia, who the Chiefs are going to see this Sunday in Lambeau Field. Um, so who knows what the hell the Raiders are going to do. They're probably going to screw this up again like they have the past 21 years. Uh, but nonetheless, the Chiefs did play some great football here again after that first quarter. Um, all, all the best players the Raiders had like Max Crosby, uh, Devonta Adams, Jacoby Myers, they were not not a factor after that first quarter. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you can solve those first quarter, well, by the way, it's weird because the Chiefs, they, they went three games in a row without scoring in the second half. So now it's the other way around where the Chiefs got off to a slow start and they um, they played much better. Uh, the rest of the way. So uh, listen, is that, is that the more preferred? Cause what's that saying? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I guess that's the motto now of the Kansas city chiefs. Cause we know playing four quarters of good football is just not in this team's DNA. Like, I don't know what it is, but they just can't seem to figure it out. But no, we finally got the balance. We all wanted. Okay. Great defense, great offense. By the way, Patrick Mahomes won AFC offensive player of the week. Uh, and Travis Kelsey became the fastest tight end to surpass 11,000 receiving yards. The fastest tight end in NFL history to do it. For a tight end to ever surpass that mark. Um, he is very well on his way to his eighth 1,000-yard receiving season. And I know that article that came about, about him where he talked about retirement and whatnot. Man, he's had a, he's had a tough year uh, with the two injuries. Two injuries uh, by the halfway point of the season. Um, the knee, the ankle... And he's still like, I think he's just a few yards behind. Um, I, I said his name earlier, um, TJ Hawkinson. Uh, so Kelsey's still like one of the better tight ends this year, even though he's having an off year. Uh, and that just goes to show you like what this Chiefs team. I know offenses this year are not uh, where they should be uh, compared to past years, but this just goes to show how good Travis Kelsey is. Uh, even at 34 years old, even with the injuries that he's dealing with, this guy still is fighting through a lot of the pain. Hey, listen, we all know. Hey, listen, forget about the fact that he's dating Taylor Swift because people are saying, oh, well, Taylor Swift is worth this much. I don't recall her money being his, at least not yet. Uh, but even if for whatever reason they break up, 
Travis Kelsey, I mean, money-wise, he is just fine. This guy is going to have a very successful life after football with his podcast. It just—it sounds like they're getting a new sponsor uh, every episode for, for that podcast. He's obviously doing a lot of commercials uh, this year than he has before. Entertainment-wise, in Hollywood, he's got a future there. Um, I know there's some rumors about WWE and whatnot. I mean, Travis Kelsey is going to be fine financially for a long time. Which leads me to think, you know, if these injuries are adding up and everything he talked about in that article, and I know Patrick Mahomes kind of just um, pushed away that subject when he was asked about it today in the press conference, but, you know, Patrick's not going to sit there and say, yeah, he's different this year. I can see him retire. He's like, no one's going to say that publicly, not at all. Um, so ultimately, I, I, you know, if the Chiefs do win the Super Bowl this year, I could see this being Travis Kelsey's final season. I, I really could. Um, he talked about the injuries adding up. I understand um, the amount of surgeries you have playing this sport. It, it really does take a toll on you. Um, and again, two injuries this year at the age of 34. Yeah, um, I can certainly see that. Uh, but obviously, we don't need to discuss that uh, in depth too much now. But my point is, you know, he's had a bit of a rough year and... Um, and he's and he he played really well in this game. By the way, Mahomes winning offensive player of the week. This is all like based on three quarters of good football. Because obviously the Chiefs only ran four plays in the first quarter. So he won the player of the week honors, his tenth time, by the way, in his career, for essentially everything he did after the first quarter. So three quarters of work getting uh, offensive player of the year. Very cool. Uh by the way, I do want to touch on Allegiant Stadium for a moment. So I mentioned earlier, I went to a concert last year in Las Vegas, the uh, the weekend concert. Phenomenal. Puts on a great show. Uh, and then I went to the uh, Chiefs Raiders game uh, over the weekend. Awesome venue. Okay. I'll say this. If there's anything I'm jealous about uh, with the Raiders, it's their venue. It's their stadium. I think they've got a great stadium. Um, the Chiefs have the best environment in the NFL, um, but their stadium is old. I mean, let, let's have a let's have an open conversation about it it's a very old stadium uh, a lot of things out of date with that stadium if you walk around the concourses uh, just just the um just the uh, a- area of Allegiant Stadium and compare it to Arrowhead Stadium Allegiant Stadium just blows Arrowhead Stadium out of the water in those areas um but there is one major complaint fix your damn field you invested more than $2 billion in this, and you have your field looks like shit. Now, it wasn't as bad as last year when the Chiefs went to visit the Raiders, the same game where they did the um, the snow goal play. Uh, but, man, it's like, you know, I, and I posted pictures of this. I'll post them again. The end zone did not look good. That Raiders logo, that uh, l- listen, even though we don't like the Raiders, the silver and black, I mean, that is a classic logo right there the colors the logo the history everything behind the Raiders man it just looks awful at the 50 yard line like I mean if that's what the if the Chiefs logo looked like that at Arrowhead Chiefs fans would be complaining saying that is the ugliest looking Arrowhead logo ever um fix your damn field you spent all this money just north of two billion dollars you can't do that um the athletic by the way did a survey and NFL players were asked questions, you know, who's the best coach and uh, who's the best player? One of the questions was, what's the best stadium to play in? Arrowhead Stadium was voted as the best stadium to play at. 
Now, keep in mind, Arrowhead opened in 1972. It's the third oldest stadium in the NFL today. And their grounds crew has always received a lot of praise for the work they do. Um, some of these newer stadiums that have opened in the last 15 to 20 years and I've received uh, a Super Bowl or two or will get uh, a Super Bowl in, in the near future, such as State Farm, uh, which had uh, the Super Bowl last year. The Chiefs also visited in week one. Both games, there were complaints about field conditions. Now, that's no excuse for Eagles fans, uh, because the Eagles, obviously, their fans at least, keep bringing up the field conditions. I mean, the Chiefs played in the same, on the same field. Um, but I will say, you know, Allegiant Stadium. And by the way, I'm glad the city of Las Vegas is getting a Super Bowl. Great city. I love the city. You guys know that. Uh, I've been there many times. And uh, I, I think a, a Super Bowl in Las Vegas is going to be awesome. It, it will be lit, as the kids like to say. And I'm sure they're going to go back probably very soon, unless something horrible goes wrong with Allegiant Stadium this year. Uh, it would not surprise me if the NFL tries to go back to Las Vegas within the next eight to 10 years. I know they want to try to sp spread around with all these new stadiums opening up and whatnot, but it would not surprise me if they try to go back to Allegiant Stadium again in, in the near future for a Super Bowl. But man, the field conditions have got to be better because that was a, a big deal after last year's Super Bowl. You don't want that to ever be the storyline after a Super Bowl. Uh, never. And again, I'm not saying that was an excuse for the Eagles blowing a 10 point lead at halftime. Uh, God forbid your defense plays the same way they did the second half or, or as a team. Uh, but, but my, my point is this, you got to be better about it. But, but here's the other thing, because in Kansas city, we keep talking about the chiefs and the Royals. Are they going to get a new stadium? Uh, the Royals have been very, Vocal about this, very active about this, far more than the Chiefs. And I think Clark Hunt did say something a couple of weeks ago in a press conference where he said he was more open to stadium renovations than a brand new stadium. Now, obviously, a brand new stadium, you'll have all these cool things that you see at all these other stadiums. Uh, and of course, there, there's a possibility of bringing the Super Bowl to Kansas City, having Final Fours in Kansas City. Um having events like WrestleMania in Kansas city, so many uh, big concerts. And listen, I've never been to a concert at Arrowhead. And I know a lot of concerts uh, take place in July and August, sometimes September. I don't really know. Like, I don't want to experience an outdoor concert at Arrowhead, uh, especially in July and August. I, I it can't be really that enjoyable. Whereas, you know, in a closed environment, you're not really worried about the, the weather conditions and whatnot. Um, so, and I know what's the big thing that would be missing if Arrowhead, uh, a new Arrowhead was in a dome. Well, you're not going to get those classic flyovers. That is a huge deal in Kansas City to, to fans during the national anthem. Uh, it's, it's essentially uh, a, a tradition for Arrowhead Stadium. So you would need to consider maybe a retractable roof. I think the stadium in Germany uh, was a retractable roof uh, when they went, uh, although I think it was closed when the Chiefs played. But the following week, when the Patriots played the Colts, uh, they did uh, open the uh, roof for that game. So I don't know. Uh, there are some pros and cons to getting a new stadium or keeping it the way it is. I'll let you guys uh, debate on that, but man, Allegiant Stadium, like fix your field. Again, it's, it's a great stadium. I, I, I would love to go back again, whether it's for a game, a concert, whatever. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to go back 100%, but fix the damn field, please. 
Uh, one thing from this game that drew a lot of headlines, and I would love your uh, reactions to this because this has sparked a lot of reactions, and um, there's also been a big turning point in the story. So uh, I hope I'm saying his name right from Deadspin, Karan Phillips. Might as well be called Karen Phillips. Uh, so in his Twitter bio or X bio, whatever you want to call it, he brags about all of these journalism awards, has a journalism of the year award from uh, some organization. Now, I don't really recall Deadspin being journalism. I know they've had a lot of attention in the past, like when they posted about Matt Leinart's personal life partying or uh, the Manti Teo story, a um, couple other stories here and there. Uh, I, I know uh, Deadspin has had a lot of attention um, uh, with those things. But here's the headline that Karen Phillips wrote um, talking about this kid who, by the way, CBS showed the right side of his face and you see black face paint and a headdress. Everyone assumed that it was a full full on black face paint, uh, the right side and the left side. So he used the uh, screenshot that CBS put um, on air uh, as his uh, photo uh, headline and in the actual headline it says the NFL needs to speak out against Kansas City Chiefs fan in black face paint native he- headdress and in the sub headline it says quote they're doubling up on the racism are you going to say anything Roger Goodell so a lot of people criticize the boy and his family a lot of people including Karen Phillips of Deadspin went on to call his family racist and the parents specifically racist for making their kid dress up like this. Uh, Well, major shift in the story. It was not all black face paint. Uh, A photo did surface. He had black face paint on the right side of his face and on the left side, it was red. The CBS angle they showed was just the right side. By the way, the mother of this kid spoke out, and apparently CBS showed him again later on or at some point in the broadcast, and you can actually see the entire face. Um, I'll be honest, I have not rewatched the game, so I can't... Uh, being at the game, I, I don't I don't know that for a fact, but that is what the mother has posted on her on her Facebook. Now, the, uh, the, the, the complaints were still, you know, why black? That's not Chiefs colors. Um, people are still like using that as some sort of like a, a drive to, to build this talk about race and how native Americans should be offended that this kid was forced by his parents to dress up like this and with the headdress and half of his face being black. Well, um, it turns out red and black are the colors that native Americans use to celebrate victory. Um, that's at least what I've been seeing out there. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but that's been uh, put out there. However, here's the big turning point in the story. The family is Native American. The kid, the parents, they're, they're, they're Native Americans. So for people that are saying that, you know, people should be offended by this, Native Americans need to, you know, they need to be offended. They need to band together against this family. Turns out these people are Native Americans. Now, Some people, I I know Raiders fans, because they just got their ass kicked, this is what they decided to point to uh, following a a loss, an embarrassing loss. And 
some Raiders, I saw a Raiders like blogger or podcaster. I don't know who he is. He has a lot of followers, but he even, you know, put his hands up and was like, look, I, I apologize. Didn't see this. Uh, didn't know. Okay. But the Deadspin article, and listen, again, I don't consider Deadspin journalism, but Deadspin does have a big reach. Okay. Um, whether it's, you know, my Facebook page or someone else's social media or someone's uh, website, websites like the Daily Beast or um, Sports Keepa. Uh, I, I'm sure some of you guys have come across some of their articles, maybe not their articles, but their social media. And, you know, it's not just the CBS's and Fox's and NBC's of the world. There are a lot of there's a lot of content out there that has the ability to reach out to a lot of people. And in Karen Phillips's article on Deadspin, it did get a big reaction from a lot of people. Now, with these new details, Karen Phillips is refusing to admit any wrongdoing and has not posted an apology of any sort. And by the way, Phillips, um, he turned off all of his comments on X. So he's tweeting about... Uh, Deion Sanders and hard knocks and all these other things. And you're not allowed to reply to him. Now you can still quote tweet him, by the way, I don't understand this. What's the point of turning off comments when people can just quote tweet you? Um, I, I don't get that. Uh, but nonetheless, he's, uh, he's hiding and is not willing to let anyone interact with him. Deadspin has yet to acknowledge this. They've yet to write an apology nor have they retracted the article. It is still up there as of Wednesday night. It is still up there on their website. Uh, listen, let me just say this. If you saw the right side of his face and you assumed it was all black face paint, I thought the same thing when I saw it. I had not said anything at the time. Um, but, you know, if you're one of those people that saw that and jumped to conclusions, that's okay. You know, that happens. The right thing to do is to apologize and take back what you said. That's not what Karen Phillips is doing. And a lot of these other websites that I've mentioned, um, they've actually come out against Deadspin, saying that they're pretty much getting eviscerated by the public for not even acknowledging any wrongdoing in this article. Listen, man, defamation is a real thing. Like, falsely accusing someone of something, and you guys all know how society works, um, people just come out and do do crazy things. Um the fact that this this guy here is trying to lead this big march against racism and there's nothing racist about this because the family's native americans like what's what was the goal in all of this and by the way um i'm not one to really talk about you know past tweets or past social media posts and whatnot but this guy's uh past tweets have come out and there are some things that would qualify under the category of racism, okay? So this is not looking really good for Karen Phillips. Karan, Karen, I, I, I apologize. I don't know how you say it. Um, but this is not very good for him. Again, this guy wanted to have this. He wanted to lead this charge uh, against racism, but refuses any wrongdoing. In his article, he's calling out Roger Goodell to say something. But ironically, when his narrative comes crashing down, he has nothing to say. I mean, this is this is a pretty bad look. Listen, man, um, I have a journalism degree. I've worked in journalism in the past. Um, 
by the way, just because you write an article and do research does not make you a journalist. Let me just make that clear right now. But there is a big issue with journalism today. And by the way, I'm not here to do a liberal versus conservative. I, I think it's stupid every time people bring that up. I don't think that's what this is at all. Um, at least not from my standpoint. I think both sides have been very bad with journalism, reporting, media in general. Um, yeah, there are a lot of people who are biased, and they, a lot of people have a narrative. Um, and for whatever reason, whenever someone's narrative is proven completely wrong, they don't even want to admit it. Um, again, that's everywhere in the media, political media, sports media, uh, wherever it is. People just do not want to admit any wrongdoing whenever a story they're trying to drive is pretty much an opinion, not fact. And this guy is a prime example of it. And again, not that this guy's a journalist. He might have been at some point in his past. He might have worked for a sports media outlet, a, a legitimate sports media outlet. Uh, but just because you were a journalist doesn't mean you are one with deadspin. Um, it, it's just, you know, just admit you were wrong. And, and this would all go away. Um, Deadspin's taking a lot of heat on their social media. This guy's taking a lot of heat on his social media. Just come out and say you were wrong. Plain and simple. It would all go away if you just admit it, you're wrongdoing, and wrote an apology. Um, now, I am not a legal expert. I have no idea uh, what lawsuit can be filed in terms of defamation and whatnot. But it would not surprise me if this family decides to take that route. And at the same time, you know, I think they kind of, the family probably wants this to go away just as much. Like, and I don't know how old this kid is. He looked like he's maybe nine, ten. Like, their kid just got humiliated publicly for this. And listen, you guys all know how the world works. He probably has heard about it in school, um, for undeservedly so. So you know, um. Everyone just has, and I'll, I'll never understand this whole thing, and I'll sign off uh, on this subject and move on, but why do we want to be offended for other people? Like, what's the point in that? Because I remember uh, during the anthem protesting, oh, well, we need to be offended for these soldiers. Well, a soldier was the one who helped start all of this, and a lot of soldiers came up publicly saying they don't have an issue with this. So why are we offended for other people? Oh, this person made a joke that this race should be offended by. Like, why are you speaking for other people? Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, like, the world would be such a better place if people just worried about themselves and not so much about whether this person should be offended or not. Like, let's slow down a little bit and think about our priorities just a little bit. Um, I think uh, you'll, see, uh, you'll see an improvement in society if uh, if we can do that kind of thing. Well, you've been working hard all year and you have some extra money to spend. So you decided to treat yourself or a loved one to a new car for the holiday season. But you don't know where to go. I know where you should go. Cable Dahmer Cadillac in Kansas City. I purchased a brand new Cadillac from Cable Dahmer this year, and I love it. Go ask for Scott Toddy. My brother purchased a car from him last year, and this year I went to him to get my Cadillac. Scott is one of the best in the biz, professional, honest, knowledgeable, and will help you with your car buying needs. New or used, Cadillac or non-Cadillac, Scott is the guy to go to. But it doesn't end right there. 
because when you buy a new vehicle, especially a brand new Cadillac, there are so many bells and whistles that you need help being introduced to with these features that you have probably never had in a car before, such as Wi-Fi for your vehicle, OnStar, the technology package, Park Assist, Super Cruise, so many things. Well, Mike from Cable Dahmer Cadillac gave me a thorough rundown of everything I need to know. And by the time I left the dealership with my new Cadillac, I knew everything I needed to know about my new Cadillac XT6. If you need your car service, by the way, go see my guy, Brock Smith, the best service specialist you will find. He will explain to you everything you need to know if something is wrong with your car. If it's a General Motors vehicle, such as Chevrolet, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, take your car there, ask for Brock Smith, and he will get you taken care of. I always need things to be explained in the simplest forms, and Brock does it every time he explains it to me like i'm five so i know exactly what's going on with my vehicle uh, anytime something's wrong with it and as you should your car is essentially your baby go to cable Dahmer cadillac off 435 on 103rd between state line and warnell ask for scott toddy tell him farzine sent you well you've been working oh, okay we don't need to hear that twice all right <laughs> welcome back in uh appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the podcast or watching live on Facebook and YouTube. Appreciate you guys. Uh, obviously, we still have to do our Chiefs and Packers breakdown, including my prediction for that game. Still got to do the Week 12 roundup and the Week 13 preview. Oh, but I do want to touch on this story here that came out uh, late last week on Orlando Brown. Obviously, played for the Chiefs for a couple of years, uh, came from the Baltimore Ravens, now is with the Cincinnati Bengals. So we did an air. So speaking of bad journalism, uh, from one topic to another, um, and again, obviously, Deadspin's not journalism, but uh, Orlando Brown did an interview with Tyler Dune, I hope I said that correctly, of Go Long. Uh, I've never heard of that publication. Could be good, could be bad. I don't know. I, I mean, by the way, whenever someone says I've never heard of something, people get offended by that. Um, so I'm not saying that as a shot at this media outlet or whatever it is. Uh, I'm just simply saying I've never heard of this. Uh, so I will say this. You have to actually pay for the article to see it, uh, which I don't agree with. The article is complete garbage, so it's, it's not worth paying for anyway. But shout out to Clay Wendler of Red Tribe Cinema. It makes pretty cool uh, Chiefs videos. Check him out if you haven't already. He's been doing that for a long time. He actually shared key portions of the article and the article states that Orlando Brown will save. This is not. This is not real. This is not. Uh, excuse me. This is not a joke. This is real. Orlando Brown will save the Bengals' season. Yeah, Orlando Brown will save the Bengals' season. That is. Um, that is like part of the subheadline. The writer also said that Orlando Brown felt like the Chiefs took advantage of him because. God forbid the Chiefs ever offered a six-year, $139 million deal before the 2022 season, supposedly taking advantage of him. Thank God he declined it. I've said many times, even at the time, that this is Brett Veach's worst move as a general manager was that contract offer right there. Here's what Orlando Brown said in the article, quote, about the Chiefs. It's an organization that's old school. You're going to have to play through injury. You're going to practice through injury. It is old school, and it is not for everybody. 
and I would have still had a ton of success there if I was still there. It's crazy how God works. Every game is the Super Bowl. It's different, but that's what makes it special. Okay. Um, wow. Uh, first and foremost, I have a very hard time believing the Chiefs, specifically Andy Reid, forced their players to play and practice through injuries. Andy Reid is very cautious of these kinds of things, and you can just tell just from listening to him in his press conferences. By the way, that um, that report card that came out last year where the Chiefs got a bad grade and specifically bad comments about um, about uh, Rick Burkholder, who's always been praised as one of the best. Uh, I think we know where that comment came from. <laughs> Probably came from Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, okay, let, let's get something straight here. Orlando Brown was terrible last year. He led the NFL in quarterback pressures allowed. He's been terrible this year. How do you know that? Because he is on pace for the second year in a row to lead the NFL in quarterback pressures allowed. So, you know, we're still, we still have a few, we have six weeks left in the season, but if things continue the way they do, Orlando Brown is going to finish as the league leader, <laughs> the league leader in quarterback pressures two years in a row. By the way, I'm laughing because um, on Orlando Brown's Twitter or X, he, um, he asked for people to vote him into the Pro Bowl, which I understand, you know, players get bonuses if they make it. Um, and I saw someone comment why he leads the league in pressures allowed. Someone else joked in the replies and said, I saw league leader. I'm voting for him. Um, his four Pro Bowls are very misleading. Like, I think he's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he's getting in based off name recognition at this point. Um, by the way, I know, uh, like Chiefs fans warned Bengals fans about this and they're like, well, Donovan Smith's not any better. Yeah. The Chiefs signed Donovan Smith on a one year deal. He is 99% gone after this season. The Bengals signed Orlando Brown to a four year deal, including a signing bonus of $31 million. The most in NFL history for an offensive lineman. Not money well spent. And by the way, they just paid Joe Burrow the bank and that contract kicks in next year. And there's been a lot of talk about Joe Burrow as great as Joe Burrow is. He really is. But he is injury prone. He's had two season ending injuries. He had an injury at the beginning of the season or at the start of training camp, which by the way, a lot of Bengals fans are defending that saying, oh, that's not Orlando Brown's fault. It was non-contact. Yeah, I'm aware that was a move where Orlando Brown was getting pushed back, forcing Joe Burrow to scramble. And when he did that, that's where he hurt his um, his calf. Eight months before that, Orlando Brown's uh, assignment, the, the defensive uh, edge rusher from the Jaguars who beat Orlando Brown, got to Mahomes and essentially smashed, smashed Mahomes' ankle. So Orlando Brown, who has been blocking for top-tier quarterbacks in the span of eight months, has essentially allowed two uh, elite quarterbacks get hurt. Um, obviously, the ankle injury from Mahomes, that was a very serious one. Fought through that, won the Super Bowl. Uh, by the way, the Cincinnati Bengals Talk YouTube page, um, I went back to do some research on Orlando Brown before talking about this. They said that this could be the biggest signing in Bengals history. So big that he's a league leader in something. Quarterback pressure is allowed. Um, 
By the way, Orlando Brown mentions playing through injuries. What about your current quarterback, Joe Burrow, who played with a bad calf at the beginning of the year? And I don't want Bengals fans saying otherwise, because whenever I pointed out Cincinnati's slow start, what did you Cincinnati fans say? Oh, it's because Joe Burrow's playing with a bad calf. Well, why? Like, are you really like you don't want to risk re-injuring that calf? Um, I've never understood players play like if you're not able to perform at your best and that's causing teams to lose. Why are you playing? I've never agreed with that. Um, I understand there's this tough mentality on athlete from athletes. Don't get me wrong. I'm aware of that. But if it's causing your team to lose, then don't play. Um, sure, you might be the team's best chance of winning, but if you hurt your if you re-injure that injury you have, you're gonna hurt your team in the long run, including yourself. Um and by the way, speaking of Joe Burrow playing through injury, what about that brace on his wrist that he played with going into that Thursday night game against the Ravens that he re-injured on that touchdown pass? Probably the least celebrated touchdown pass in NFL history, exclu- excluding blowouts. It's like, obviously, you know, I, I, I'm questioning how Cincinnati kind of handles things. I know the NFL is investigating that as well because Burrow was not on the injury report, but you want to talk about Kansas city and being forced to play through uh, and practice through injuries. Well, what about the quarterback that you were blocking for? Um, Because things aren't working very well for him playing through a calf injury and a wrist injury that didn't help. So I guess, you know, maybe that's just a thing that happens all across the NFL in Orlando Brown's view. I don't know. Uh, But to call out the Chiefs on that is not a good look when your quarterback's been playing through injury. Yeah, uh, this guy's leading the NFL in quarterback pressures for the second year in a row. I think he needs to focus more on that than talking about his former team. All right, Week 12 Roundup. Uh, Going through the biggest games from Week 12, Jaguars 24, Texans 21, Trevor Lawrence throwing for 364 yards. That is a single-season high. That is also very close to a career high for Trevor Lawrence. I know things got off to a slow start for him when Urban Meyer was coaching him, uh, but he seemed to really pick it up and is playing better. I know the Jaguars have not been the most consistent. Their offense has kind of been off at times, and the Texans have been pretty hot lately uh, with C.J. Stroud and everything he's been doing. Um, so a pretty good win for the Jaguars. By the way, before I go any further, what a dull group of games on Thanksgiving Day. Okay, I know the Lions made it a little close in the end, but it was one of those two little too late scores to uh, to, to make it close. So, boy, uh, Thanksgiving Day games were awful. Uh, Broncos 29, Browns 12. The Broncos have now won five in a row. Woo-hoo. Oh, boy, they're in it now. Um, maybe that loss Kansas City had was not too bad. No, I'm just kidding. It, it was still bad at the time. Still probably is now. Um, listen, uh, not the most perfect set of games from the Broncos. The tw- they essentially needed 12 men on the field from the Bills' defense to have another shot at the field goal. No touchdowns against the Vikings until very late in the game. They're finding weird ways to win. And, hey, all you can do is win. In the NFL, however, it's given to you. Um, and it's not like, you know, they're getting, you know, blatantly missed calls from the officials on this. You can't apologize that your opponents had 12 men on the field. You can't apologize that the opposing defense didn't allow a touchdown until it mattered the most. Um, 
And I've always said, like, if you don't score a touchdown for the first 55 minutes, what makes you think you'll get one in the end, in the final five minutes? And the Broncos were able to get one in the final few minutes of that game and came away with a big win there. So they're uh, they're on a roll right now. Eagles 37, Bills 34 in overtime. Stop with the excuses about the refs. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Bills fans, by the way, after that 13-second game in Kansas City, what did Bills fans say? Well, the Chiefs only won because they won the coin toss in overtime. Well, Josh Allen won the coin toss in overtime, and he did not get a touchdown for them. And by the way, we mentioned the 13-second game. The Bills had 20 seconds left in regulation with a timeout in their pockets, and they took a knee before the end of regulation. Josh McDermott has zero confidence in Josh Allen. Zero confidence. And I think they're going into a bye this week. Man, um, obviously the Chiefs have the Packers to play, but as a Chiefs fan, I am very excited for the Chiefs to play the Bills. Like, you think Josh Allen's really struggling this year? Wait until he plays the Chiefs defense, because they have done pretty damn well against a lot of good offenses this year. By the way, Josh Allen, 0-6. In overtime. So keep bragging about the touchdown stats. I'm sure they're going to save you and bring you your first Super Bowl uh, in franchise history. Ravens 20, Chargers 10. Uh, hey, the Ravens had some issues of their own in this one. Played far from perfect because uh, they've been blowing out some teams this year. Some good teams, some competitive teams. But the Chargers are just an embarrassment. Uh, couldn't get a touchdown until late in the game. And then on that fourth down play, it made it look e- they basically made it look easy for the uh, for the Ravens. Brandon Staley has to be done. Maybe not officially like right now, but as soon as the Chiefs Chargers game in Week 18 hits zero seconds on the game clock, Brandon Staley has to be fired. You have to give him the pink slip right then and there because going back to Week 18 of last year, Brandon Staley has done a horrible job. I think he was doing a great job before that game last year. But since that week 18 regular season game last year, I don't think the Chargers have recovered from that. I truly think Brandon Staley lost his football team in that week 18 game. And the following week when the Chargers blew that 27, nothing lead against the Jaguars, this team, like he doesn't have control of this team and he's firing assistants and is lashing out at the media. No, this is on you. And you will be looking for a new job in the offseason. Bears 12, Vikings 10 on Monday Night Football. I've said it before. um, Sloppy games tend to have fun endings. They really do. And this is actually a pretty good ending. Like a really horrible 55 minutes. But the last five minutes were pretty entertaining. Bad game for Josh Dobbs. And I've seen a lot of people criticize him and say, well, now it's not a good trade. It's just one bad game. Listen, even some of the best have had bad games. Uh, not to compare Josh Dobbs to those those types of players, but uh, Josh Dobbs, like on short notice, getting traded midseason and then having to start sooner than expected, like he's playing much better than a lot of people anticipated. So he's still the right guy for the job in many. And by the way, Justin Jefferson is expected to be back soon. So this team, I think, will reach the playoffs for sure. Um, I really do. I think Minnesota is going to be uh, a very tough team to beat in the final six weeks. Week 13 preview. Let's start with Thursday Night Football Seahawks at the Cowboys. Cowboys are 8-3, but they have yet to beat a team with a winning record this year. Seahawks, they've been inconsistent, so something's got to give in this one here. 
Lions at eight and three, visiting the Saints at five and six. The Saints have not been good. They started two and zero, but they've been three and six since then, and their season is essentially in jeopardy if they don't win this game. The Lions—they're coming off a of kind of an embarrassing game against the Packers. So, uh, the, by the way, the Chiefs play the Packers next. Um, so the Lions definitely need to respond and play better this one. Broncos at Texans. Both teams are six and five. This is going to be huge for playoff implications here because. Neither team is expected to win their division. Well, the the Texans, maybe. But for now, both teams look like wildcard teams. Um, And they've been hot lately. So, And I know the Texans are coming off a loss, but still, just overall body of work with C.J. Stroud in the past three to four weeks. Looking pretty good. Uh, both of them need to win this for playoff purposes. So this outside of the Eagles um, 49ers game, I think this is the game of the week. I, I, I really do. Uh, Browns at the Rams. The Browns, they may have gotten a little exposed by Denver. Can they prove otherwise against a struggling Rams team? That's what I'm really curious to see the most in this one here. Um, so... You know, which Rams team is going to show up and which Browns team is going to show up. I know the Browns are still playing some good competitive football. Um, and that's good to see, e- even without Deshaun Watson. Uh, but how long is that going to last for? Did Denver expose them? Uh, also, Eagles 49ers. I alluded to that one a moment ago. Uh boy. A lot of people are saying the Eagles are like the worst one loss team heading into December, which, you know, I I don't subscribe to that talk. I really don't Um, because people said that about the Eagles last year with their easy schedule. You can only play who's on your schedule. Um, The Eagles are playing great football. I mean, they beat the Chiefs. How they did, it doesn't matter. They won at the end of the day. Um, The 49ers are playing much better. That three game losing streak was weird. They were in in this weird funk and they have snapped out of it. Because they're playing much better football. They are right now the Super Bowl favorites in some sports books out there, which is a surprise to me. Um, I'll, I'll give a prediction. I'm going San Francisco in this one. I really do think the Eagles are going to struggle in this one and probably have some issues that they've not had in games this year outside of the Kansas City game. Monday Night Football, Bengals 5-6 and six at the Jaguars 8-3. and three. Trevor Lawrence coming off a big game. The Bengals are really just holding on to hope in this one. The Jaguars have, I mentioned earlier, have been inconsistent. So I'm curious to see if the Jaguars can try to avoid that inconsistency. If they do, Cincinnati does have a chance. Uh, but I do think the Bengals are going to have a hard time in this one here. And the Jaguars will hold them off. So that is my week 13 NFL preview. Santa baby, the season for a fresh cut is finally here with the sponsors of today's show. Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming have just launched their fifth generation lawnmower to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with Manscaped and watch your South Pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all by going to manscaped.com and using promo code Farzine20 for 20% off and free shipping. Mrs. Claus will thank you. What could be better than giving the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs? Starting with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. This is crown jewel of the holidays and dare I say the best ball trimmer of all time? 
The Electric Razor's advanced skin-safe technology is a lifesaver and known for reducing nicks and cuts on his Santa sack. Anybody in the family have too much scruff? Look no further than the Manscaped Beer Hedger Pro Kit and Handyman Electric Face Shaver for all his facial hair needs. Dad have nasty nose hairs? Save the day with the Weed Whacker 2.0 Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Is there boxer game week? Take care of the Chestnuts and Manscapes Boxers 2.0 featuring their signature jewel pouch to keep you calm, cool, and collected. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FARZINE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use promo code FARZINE20, say ho ho ho, to a well-groomed mistletoe with Manscaped. All right. Chiefs, Packers, this Sunday, Sunday Night Football, obviously a national audience, so you will all be getting the game. Don't have to worry about those uh, maps, courtesy of the 506. They do a good job with that. Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth will be announcing this game. Brad Allen will be the referee. Let's talk about the Packers a little bit. Give you guys a little bit of insight on what the Packers are like. By the way, I want to see you guys a score prediction. So for those of you watching live, and by the way, it's been a longer podcast than usual because we're doing a recap and a preview on the same show. Uh, I want to see your guys' score predictions. So let me know your thoughts. Uh, and I will get to um, I will get to your scores later on. By the way, I see some people asking questions, and I apologize. I'm not really getting to them today. Um, come back for the Red Friday live chat. It'll be a lot easier to do it then. I I, I want to do interactions with you guys, but on a heavy loaded show like this, it's hard to do on this one. Um, that's what the Red Friday live chat is always for. We always try to save the uh, Q and A's for uh, for that night. So save your questions. Come back, uh, but I do want to see your guys' score predictions. Uh, I'll give you guys mine in the end. Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. Packers offense coordinated by Adam Sinovic. 18th in total offense. 16th in passing right in the middle. One of the worst in running the football. 31st, second worst in the NFL. And 26th in points per game, averaging 16.8. They're tied 6th. For fewest giveaways this year with 12, um, with a majority of them being interceptions from Jordan Love. He's thrown 10 on the year. That is tied for fourth most, but uh, have only committed two fumbles. Uh, one of the fewest in the NFL. In fact, I think it might be the fewest in the NFL. He's been sacked 22 times, 2,599, essentially 2,600 yards, 13th in the NFL and he is tied for the seventh most touchdowns this year with 19. So look, the guy's filling in uh, big shoes. Aaron Rodgers moving on. Because remember, in like a 30-year span, they had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And now this transition to Jordan Love, who's nowhere near the same as Aaron Rodgers, certainly you're seeing a lot of um, a, a much different style of play at the quarterback position, something they're not used to. But... The past two weeks, Jordan Love's been playing great. Through five touchdowns, no picks in the last two games, beating the Chargers and the Lions. Um, the Lions, obviously, that was a surprise to a lot of people because they're still in the hunt for a number one seed. And this definitely created a gap between the Eagles and the Lions. And then the Chargers, um, not that they're good anymore, but at the time, a couple of weeks ago, they were still somewhat in playoff contention. So uh, you thought that, you know, at the time, 
kind of was a game with somewhat big playoff implications. Um, so two solid wins for the um, for the guys uh, for for the Packers uh, lately. Uh, running back AJ Dillon dealing with a groin injury did not practice today. He's averaging 3.4 yards per carry off 131 rushes. Aaron Jones didn't practice either. He's been dealing with a knee injury. He has 3.7 yards per carry. By the way, um, the Packers have had a lot of bad luck this year with injuries uh, just all across the board on offense. And I'll get to those later on. Emmanuel Wilson, he's on IR. So there's a chance that Patrick Taylor could either start or or might see a lot of playing time. And he's only ran the ball three times. Um, excuse me. He he's uh, he runs three yards per carry. He's ran 14 times. Still not, not enough. Uh, Jaden Reed, second round pick from Michigan State, playing fairly well this year. 36 catches for 497 yards, leading the team in the receiving yards category. and has five touchdown passes this year. He didn't practice either, dealing with a chest injury. Romeo Dobbs, 41 catches, leading the team. Also leads the team in touchdown grabs with seven, has 433 yards. Christian Watson also uh, pretty active with this receiving core here. 21 catches for 351 yards and three touchdowns. Has the longest catch of the year for the Packers at 77 yards. It should have been a touchdown, uh, but Marcus Peters ended up uh, yanking Christian Watson by uh, the horse collar. And uh, that was obviously a penalty there. By the way, Marcus Peters, uh, Sky Moore kind of got the best of him. And I guess he just didn't recover from that. He got apparently got into an argument with Antonio Pierce. I saw the video of that go viral. And then he got released. Um, listen, man, I'll say this. I, I hated when Marcus Peters got traded. I know a lot of people had opinions about him because of his anthem protesting. Uh, listen, not the best tackler, but the guy always just found a knack for he had a knack for getting interceptions. Uh, even did it in Baltimore, did it in uh, L.A. with the Rams. Uh, has always been a good player, but man, he has heavily regressed. And I think his effort has been in question for a very long time. I, I mean, the Raiders just let you go. Are you going to are, are you going to land a, another spot elsewhere? Because the guy comes off as someone that doesn't like to have his playing time get taken away from him. Listen, I like the guy. I really do. Um, got his jersey when he was playing so well. Uh, I got his jersey, and I got Kareem Hunt's jersey. Uh, since then, I think the only jersey I've ever purchased was Patrick Mahomes. Got just a regular jersey of his, and then the two Super Bowl jerseys, uh, 54 and 57. So, uh, yeah, uh, not, not, not good for him. Uh, but anyway, not the point here. Tight end Luke Musgrave. Went on IR, so they're using two rookie tight ends right now and Tucker Kraft, who got a touchdown against the Lions, and Ben Sims, who they got from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, one of those rare in-division trades. Offensive line, left tackle David Bakhtiari, longtime pro in the NFL uh, on IR. Uh, man, and like I said, just a lot of bad luck with the uh, Packers this year when it comes to injuries. So Rashid Walker has been filling in for him and has actually done a pretty good job. Uh, right tackle Zach Tom playing very good, allowing just one sack. And then left guard Eldon Jenkins hasn't allowed a sack this year. All three of those guys, uh, all three of those offensive linemen I mentioned uh, have pretty good ratings on pro football focus with their pass blocking grade, which is going to be very key in this football game because the Packers don't run the ball very well and might not have e even their best running backs, uh, which isn't saying much, might not be at full strength. So 
they could be relying a lot on Jordan Love in this game. And so their offensive line needs to be uh, bringing their A game in this one. Center Josh Myers and right guard John Ronyan. Uh, average pass blockers, not very good run blockers. Um, and that's why their uh, PFF grades are in the mid-60s. So it doesn't look good, uh, mainly from a run blocking standpoint. But I, I don't think it matters much because I can see the Packers going very pass heavy in this one uh, to try to win this football game. Uh, if they try to run, don't be surprised, which, you know, I mean, you can't just pass every single play, but when they do run, uh, expect them to run to the left far more to the, uh, than the right. So I think that is a very key thing to keep an eye on in this one. I know, I know I try to point out numbers, but instead of that, I think uh, one key uh, would be running to the left. The Chiefs have struggled at times stopping the run. Uh, we've seen that in the past couple of weeks. In fact, um, against the Dolphins, when Mostert was getting going in the fourth quarter, I was surprised they went away from him. And then uh, in uh, the Eagles game, uh, we saw DeAndre Swift playing really well. And then last week, Josh Jacobs, before the Chiefs just took over, Josh Jacobs was playing pretty well in that one. So uh would not surprise me if they still would try to utilize that running game uh, a little more. I know I, know I just said they want, they, they'll probably go pass heavy, but um, that might be a trick up their sleeve. Um, something to go against this Kansas City defense. Uh, but, but, but going back to their pass blocking, Zach Tom leads the team in pressures allowed with 21, which, you know, not good, but far from bad. Um, that matchup against George Karloftis. George Karloftis against Zach Tom is going to be a really fun one to watch if you're a Chiefs fan, I think. So... That is something to uh, to watch out for in this game. Raiders defense, defensive coordinator Joe Barry. They're 18th in total defense, 9th against the pass, 27th against the run, 10th in points per game allowed, averaging almost 20 and a half points per game. They've got 12 takeaways on the se season and five picks. They're in the bottom five in both of those categories. Uh, you lo look at some of their defensive stars, linebacker Quay Walker, despite missing a couple of games this year, still leads the team in tackles with 79, uh, five tackles for a loss, one pick, uh, which was taken back for a touchdown, 37 yards. Uh, Isaiah McDuffie, second on the team in tackles with 67, three tackles for a loss. Their pass rushers, not bad. Uh, I think Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor are definitely going to be busy in this one. You have Rashawn Gary, who's going to be going up against Donovan Smith. He has eight and a half sacks on the year. That is tied for 13th in the NFL. Also six tackles for a loss. Preston Smith has five sacks on the season and three tackles for a loss. And uh, also has four pass deflections. So kind of has that George Karloftis in him. He is going to be going up against Jawan Taylor. Uh, and then you look at the three, four defense. They have the three offensive linemen. Give me one moment here, guys. All right, just had to answer that message there. Um, when you look at um, the 3-4 defense they run, which, by the way, I like the 3-4 defense more. I think there's more flexibility. You can do more in the 3-4 versus the 4-3. Um, they've got some good players on that defensive line. Kenny Clark, the defensive end, has four sacks and two forced fumbles. Devontae Wyatt has two and a half sacks, the other defensive end. Carl Brooks, the defensive tackle, he's got three sacks on the season. So... Uh, they've got a, a somewhat of a solid front seven on that 3-4 defense there for the Green Bay Packers. You look at their secondary, not the best, uh, not terrible either. Cornerbacks Carrington Valentine and Jair Alexander, I would say they're average cover cornerbacks. So the Chiefs wide receivers do have a chance to uh, have another good game, which by the way, I didn't mention this earlier with Rasheed Rice and how good of a game he had. Uh, obviously, he had that touchdown, which, you know, got a key block there from Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, 
But he also had that really nice catch on the sidelines, that dart from Mahomes. Mahomes had another touch pass, too, to Travis Kelsey. And that pass to Kelsey, where a lot of people just raved about online, I think that one really gave Mahomes his confidence back. Some people are saying Mahomes ever lost his confidence. And I don't know if I particularly agree with that. I think that pass right there is something Mahomes needed with this offense to get going because he was not afraid to go out and have these one-on-one passes here. That trick play to Kelsey, we saw some creativity, and I'm curious to see if the Chiefs do some of that in this game against the Packers' defense because I think they've got the ability to do so. Free safety, Rudy Ford leads the team with just two picks on the year. Um, don't be shocked if the Chiefs try to pick on say, uh, strong safety Jonathan Owens. Not a good cover safety this season. He's been struggling in that area, and I think the Chiefs would be very smart to try to target Jonathan Owens and whoever's going up against him, get the ball uh, to whoever uh, is going up against Owens because I think that'll definitely create some opportunities for the Chiefs. Uh, I mentioned Rich Bisaccia is going to be the uh, going to be seen in this one because he's the special teams coordinator. Should be the Raiders head coach, honestly. Their cornerback, Kishon Nixon, leads the NFL in kicker turn yards with 562 yards. No touchdowns, though. Kicker Anders Carlson, he's 15 of 19. All four misses have been from 40 yards out. He's also missed three PATs on the season. Punter Daniel Whalen, not very good, has the sixth worst net punting average on the season at almost 39 yards per punt. Not good at all. Regular average almost at 47 yards per punt. So that is the uh, Packers in a nutshell. Um, I'm very curious about those two outside linebackers, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, because I think they can cause some problems in this one here to make this closer than expected. Um, I will say this. I did say the Chiefs would go 15 and two on the season. They always lose a game that, you know, that you don't expect them to lose. And I said that, uh, I said that this would be the game. Uh, but given the way the Packers have played, their competitive edge really isn't there. I know they're coming off a big Lions win, and I think, you know, being a division rival, I think they're coming into this one feeling pretty good. But I still think Kansas City can find ways to hold them off. And it wouldn't surprise me if Kansas City came away with two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to take a win on the road in Green Bay. And and I believe, according to the weather forecast, it's going to be snowing. We'll see. They said the same thing about the Denver game. You guys know how the weather forecast goes. It always changes, and weathermen are always wrong. So um, I think the Chiefs are going to come away with this one. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, though. Um, okay, maybe not low-scoring, but it's not going to be as high-scoring as some might want it to be. I'm going to go with 24-20 Kansas City over Green Bay on the road. 24 24- to 20. Let me read some of your guys' predictions. David said 31-7. Oh, that's a Raiders score. Uh, this one's a correct one. 34-21. Robert says 38-13. Lee says 28-15. Robert says 27-14. A lot of one-sided uh, predictions here. Steve says 38-13. Daniel says 31-17. Same as the, uh, the, the Raiders game. Robert says 33-10. Okay, so we got some predictions there. Good to see. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are going to have um, some issues in this one. So I, I'm going. I'm going to stick with 24-20. I think uh, I think the Chiefs will have a couple of scores late in the game to uh, take away 
uh, a win on the road in Lambeau and come back uh, getting ready for a uh, Bills team that is really desperate and uh, in need, uh, serious need of a win to stay in playoff contention. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys joining me for this one. Uh, longer podcast, a little longer than usual because uh, we did the recap and the preview on the same show. So thank you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast. For those of you who watch live, thank you guys on Facebook and on YouTube. Appreciate you guys making time for this episode. Come back on Friday. We will do our Red Friday live chat. Sunday, we will do our pregame show live uh, we'll do, we'll actually do that a little early. We'll do that in the mornings because I don't want to miss any of the NFL action leading up to it, uh, leading up to Sunday night football. So uh, join us uh, around eleven thirty in the morning Central Time. We'll do our, we'll do our uh, pregame live chat, and as always, we'll do our halftime live chat. That'll be fairly short, and then after the game, we will do the Chiefs Zone podcast live recapping hopefully a Chiefs victory over the Packers. All right, my name is Farzi Vasugian. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. I will talk to you all later. Take care.